and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down and continue these discussions on the contextualization of the AGWM training competencies. And so today, we're going to sit down with uh, Steve Pennington, Dr. Steve Pennington, and Pat Hurst joins again on the podcast as a co-host. And we unpack and discuss partnership, the indigenous church principle. Um, Where does the indigenous church principle come from? Um, Are there three? Are there five? Are there nine? Are there 12 or they're 15. Um, we, we just, Steve gets a, does a great job explaining where we get those from. And um, just a fascinating conversation, something that undergirds our mission, um, what we believe as far as planting, nurturing, and partnering with the national church in Africa. And um, just to understand um, what exactly the indigenous church principle means and, and what are the biblical basis for that? Is that just something we thought up or is that is there a biblical basis for that? And Steve, uh, he does a great job and he's a great friend, someone I dearly love and respect. And so it was just a a fun time to sit down and talk with him and uh, spend some time again with Pat today. This episode will be divided into two, A, B, one, two, however you want to look at it. Um, Just we started talking and um, and Steve's passionate about this subject. And I asked some questions that weren't really uh, what we were thinking about. So I actually prolonged the interview and made it longer because I was just uh, uh, enjoying learning from Steve. So, well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to continue our series as we continue to unpack the AGWM um, training competencies. Um, again, here today with with Pat Hurst and so excited to have uh, Dr. Steve Pennington with us also. So Pat, I'm going to turn it over to you and you'll do the introductions and we'll go from there. Uh, Aaron, these podcasts, uh, they just keep getting better. Um, boy, we've had some fantastic guests and uh, equally again today to have uh, Dr. Steve Pennington with us to talk about our competency of theology of mission. And as I've shared in a few of these podcasts, I haven't always been faithful to, to, to share this every time, but again, our competencies are uh, directly anchored uh, to our values as AGWM missionaries. And this competency, theology of mission, boy, it it ties into several of our values. I'm not going to take the time to mention them all, but I think two of them really uh, speak to uh, this competency, theology of mission. And one is uh, we are committed to a biblical understanding uh, of the mission of the church. Uh, Another value that we hold dearly is we are committed to the principles of the indigenous church and partnership. Uh, So I'm really happy to have uh, Steve with us. Uh, Steve and Trina uh, and Suzanne and I, we go way back uh, to 1992. We went out together as missionaries. And so we first met at Candidate Orientation Week when we were being interviewed and our children have grown up together. And uh, this is a topic, uh, Indigenous Church Principles, that Steve and I have talked hours and hours about uh, uh, over the years of our, our of our friendship. So, Steve, uh, welcome. We're excited to have you with us today. And let's just kick things off uh, by asking, um, what exactly are Indigenous Church principles? Well, let me just say, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to be with you guys. Um, I love the fact that I'm surrounded with two of the dearest people on planet Earth to me today. And uh, it's true, Pat. We've known each other since 1992. I think that, we, you know, we both had... Uh, 
no gray hair and hair back in <laughs> <laughs> You still have yours, man. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's moving. It's moving somewhere. I'm not, it's, it's, it's vacating my head, but, but, uh, and I, I'm grateful to get to speak about uh, the Indigenous Church Principles Today in Partnership because it's something that's um, very, very close to my heart and something that uh, not only have I been given privilege of studying, but also it's something that we have to walk out every day. And that's, I really hope that today we can talk about some practical stuff as well and, and uh, things that'll, that'll help people uh, do what we do better um, for the glory of Jesus. Um, thanks for the first question. Just, just as a clarifier that, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this, the, the whole idea of the, you know, the indigenous church principles, how many there are and, and where they come from and why do we use them and things like that. But um, just, just as a clarify, clarify right off the top, I, I am very comfortable with the indigenous church principles being the three selves, um, self-government, self-support, self-propagation. Um, actually, when that when the word self came up, that's always created some issues because people think that it's you know it's anti Jesus, it's a, it's more you know it's humanistic, but really that's not the point at all. It's it speaks of a dependence upon Jesus Christ and His working these characteristics into the local and the national church. So self government is uh, essentially about leadership, local leadership, indigenous leadership, national leadership. Self-support is about money. It's about it's about finance, and ultimately, then it, it's about dependence. Who are we? Who are we depending upon? Who uh, is is the Lord still Jehovah Jireh? Is He still the one that provides for us? And then self-propagation is about witness. And all all three of these are, are critical and essential to the life of a local church, a national church. So witness, church planting, and 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 self-propagation is where I also put. Uh, I also put mission. So for me, witness is, is it begins with uh, evangelism, which is local witness, and it extends to cross-cultural witness, which is mission. Good deal. Good deal. Steve, um, as you, you shared those, those three, where did we get these principles and, um, and why? You know, since I've been AGWM I've, and specifically in Africa, I've heard about them a lot. Why do we believe in them um, and why do we use them? Because uh, I hear about them a lot. Well, we get them from um, two 19th century missiological rock stars, uh, Rufus Anderson and Henry Venn. Now, normally you'll hear Venn and Anderson, but I got to confess, I, um, Venn is British and Anderson is American, so I prefer to say Anderson and Venn. Plus, it's A and V, it's alphabetical, at least in English. Um, and then from those two fellas, it, for us, it came through uh, Roland Allen and then through uh, Alice Luce. Now, the way, it, the way it was really practicalized in the Assemblies of God was prior to the 1921 General Council, the missiology of the Assemblies of God was based upon international districts. So when missionaries would go, they would start the, uh, the local church, the national church, and then that national church would become a district and tie back into the American Assemblies of God. So we literally had the District of Egypt, the District of India, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada until 1929 were actually just a district of the American Assemblies of God. Alice wrote a series of articles just prior to the 1921 General Council, three articles that appeared in the Pentecostal Evangel, where she took the writings of Allen, who had taken the writings of uh, Anderson and Venn, about the, uh, the, the three self-model, the indigenous church, and she Pentecostalized them, if you would. She made them practical so that, that American Assemblies of God pastors could, under, could understand what this, what this meant and how we should do our missiology. So at that 1921 general council, um, they actually, that's where they proclaimed that from this point on, 
we will utilize a three-cell formula as our main method of missiology. Our goal is to plant churches that are self-governing, self-propagating, and self-supporting. And, you know, really, when you look at the, when you look at the indigenous church principles, um, you ask the question, uh, why do we use them? Why do we believe in them? Um, I, I, you mentioned that John Easter had been on here earlier. And my guess is that if you're talking biblical theology of missions, at some point, John talked about all people being created, created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, that he talked about value, capacity, and significance. I mean, that's, that's John's, that's John's, uh, uh, mantra, if you would, it's his thing. In fact, it's actually in my mind, in my mind, when it comes to, to speaking of biblical theology of missions, there's actually no one better on planet earth than John Easter. But what, what, it, what, what the indigenous church principles do is they, they teach us, they lead us, they, they train us to believe that God created within every people in every culture the value, the capacity, the ability to know him and to make him known. So that uh, dependence on, on, on foreign support, dependence on foreign leadership is not, is not needed and it's not, it's not desired. Jesus calls every people group to engage with the nations. And Jesus empowers every people group by, the, by his Holy Spirit to engage in the nations. So what these, what these principles do is they help us to know uh, where we're headed, what we're doing. And when Anderson and Ben first began to develop them, actually, they, they were looking at the writings of Paul because they were coming into problems in their own missiology. Um, at the time, Anderson was ahead of the uh, ABCFM, um, American Board of Foreign Commissioners for Missions. And on the other side was, was Ben, who was ahead of the Church Missionary Society. And as they traveled and visited their missionaries, they realized that their missionaries had gotten off task they had gotten off base, and and then actually, uh, you know, he's a superhero to us. But he was he was not so much to his own missionaries initially because he actually went around India shutting down schools. Now, schools in and of themselves are a good thing. I mean, it's not a, it's not a bad thing, but it's not it's not the mission thing. It wasn't what they were sent to do. And at that time, you didn't need a platform in order to proclaim the gospel. Not in India, if you're British. And so they, they were doing things that were good, but they weren't doing things that were on purpose or on focus. And so Van and Anderson, quite apart from each other, began to develop these principles. And they, they actually had a warm friendship over many, over many, many years, but they, uh, they developed them. Um, and no one really knows which one actually developed them first, but they both wrote about them. They're both in their historical writings. And the whole reason was to give their people purpose. What are we supposed to be doing as missionaries? So they looked to the life of Paul. They looked at the life of the New Testament church. And they looked at Paul's methodology. And they said, what did Paul do? And then how can we replicate that? So Paul, I mean, just basically speaking, would go to an area. He would declare the gospel. They would shape disciples. They would form the church. And then they'd appoint, appoint elders. And then they'd move to another place. I mean, Paul was, Paul was pretty temporary. And so they couldn't depend upon him for governance. They couldn't depend upon him for finance. And they couldn't depend upon him to do all the witness. They had to do it themselves. In fact, Paul stayed maybe two and a half years in Ephesus, a year and a half in Corinth. And so um, in Paul's methodology, he was building into them the capacity as a local church empowered by the Holy Spirit to lead, to govern, to, um, to provide for themselves, and then also to plant the church. He, he anticipated that they were going to do those very things. 
Man, that was a mouthful, wasn't it? Sorry about that. <laughs> that was a long answer to a very no, no, short. No, 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 no. It's a good word. To be my life. Give me a short question. I'll give you a long answer. No, no, no. It's a good word. Good word. Over to you, Pat. So, uh, Steve, I find this a uh, little bit of history interesting in that, uh, you know, these guys, uh, Anderson and Vin and even Roland Allen, they were way ahead of their time. Um, and I, I think I maybe it's in your dissertation and one of your uh, one of your writings. Um, Somewhere I read that uh, somebody said uh, about those early years, it was uh, what we say we, we do, but in reality, we don't. Mm. Um, and, it, and it really wasn't until Alice Luce and the declaration at, uh, at our general council. So Pentecostals were some of really the first who began to actually put into practice indigenous church principles. Am, am I correct in, in understanding that? Oh, that's absolutely correct. In fact, when, when Roland Allen um, wrote, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact date, I think it was 1913 when his first book, St. Paul's Missionary Methods or Ours, was published. Um, somewhere in that book, I think it's in the foreword, he wrote that um, in the second edition that he didn't believe that his writings would be accepted by the church for at least 60 years. And the truth of the matter is, is a lot of people didn't accept it initially. And it was actually the Pentecostals. We latched on to it because what it, there, there's two factors within his writings that are just vibrant that, that really attracted us. One was a local church focus. And then the other one was dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And you have to remember, he's writing from a very different ecclesiology than ours. He, 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 was, he was Anglican. Um, so they would, they would plant local churches, which would then become a part of the bishopric, which would then be a part of the, the larger Anglican church worldwide. Very different than ours. And he was also, because he's an Anglican, he wasn't a Pentecostal. And yet he wrote about radical dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit. So you are absolutely correct. And what happened was the Pentecostal church just seized on it because it just, there's something in our hearts. We're like, man, this is, this guy's right. And uh, we're the ones that actually really, really took his teachings to heart. And, and actually Alice Luce was one of his disciples. She was a CMS missionary who eventually came over to the States, joined, uh, I think it was a foreign missions department at the time, FMD, then it became DFM, then AGWM. But and then she served in Latin America, and uh, she trained she trained others that uh, eventually uh, brought it more firmly even into our movement. So, like Hodges, uh, served in the same area as she did. So, Steve, why 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 do you limit it to three? I've heard everything from five to seven. Um, why why do you only keep it at three? You know, I was actually in a meeting in Kenya not too long ago, and someone stood up and said, "There's actually now there's eight. And they added, they added another with self-awareness. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we've gone, we've gone to seed here. Now, I, the, the, you know, the reasons people add actually are very good reasons. Now, um, even a lot of our missiologists will say that they believe that there are five. So, so we have the three, self-government, self-support, self-propagation. And by the way, self-propagation was always one that Anderson and Ben, they really, they really hammered on that witness aspect. But people will add self-missionizing and self-theologizing. Um, and, uh, then on top of that, then people will add like, uh, self-expression, self-identity, self-awareness, self-care. So, and, and I realize that, um, not everybody believes in those, but, but that's actually how the, how the list has grown. I, and what, what I came to believe as I studied the writings of, of Van and Anderson, Anderson and Van, what I, what I came to understand was, I, I think we misunderstood the question. I, we have taken the question they asked, is the national church mature? And we have projected that onto a church. And so we, we set up all these factors in order for a church to become mature. 
misunderstanding the whole point. I think the whole point was they weren't asking, is a national church mature? They were asking, is a national church mature enough? So it wasn't as much a question about the national church. It was a question about us as a mission. So is the national church mature enough for us to disengage, to re-engage, to uh, re-identify, rework our relationships so that we as a mission can do what we're here to do. We're not here to go plant a church and stay at the church. We're here to plant the church and then to move on and plant the church in other places. So I think, I think pe- people that do add the, you know, they have the five or they have the seven and the, now the nine. I, I think that the intention is good. And the things that they're identifying are, are, are real aspects of church life. I mean, that's one of the fundamental questions of missiology and Charles Van Ingen has written um, extensively about what are the marks of the church? And so that's something we do need to consider. We do need to reflect on, but when it comes to the action of the mission or the action of the missionary, the question is, are we, is the national church mature enough so that we have to, so that we can re-engage, which of course affects our, you know, our relationship. I've, um, when I started writing my dissertation, uh, it was 2011, 12, 13, 14. It took like 500 years, but most of the literature was talking about exit strategy. Even in the Assemblies of God, we all talked extra strategy, exit strategy, exit strategy. And one of the one of the things that that uh, one of the points that I came came around to and down on was that um, I don't believe in an exit strategy. I believe in a reengagement strategy. Now, part of that has to do with our part of that has to do with our ecclesiology and how we do missions and how we do church, if you would. But I believe that we re-engage with that national church. We have to re-identify our relationship because there's aspects that that national church may still want, um, things that they may still need. So mature churches may still need some help in certain areas, or they just ask for that help in certain areas. And a lot of times it's just relational. Um, and that may not mean that a missionary actually lives in the country. There may be someone who is um, maybe a near neighbor or uh, what we call a non-resident missionary that would then interact with that national church and in the, in the sense of encouragement and helping with capital things and infrastructure, I mean, not infrastructure, but capital expenses and things like that to help that church move on in its maturity. And then to also to be sending its own missionaries to plant the church where it's not. So again, short answer. I'm a short question, long answer. <laughs> That's good. It's good. Steve, as you've talked, um, and you know, my time in AGWM Africa, we hear so much about the local church and the national church. Um, why do you think that is? Well, the, the, the church, the local church, the national church is, um, it's at the heart of everything we do. Um, the local church is, in fact, it's our goal. But it's also our methodology. So, I, you know, you could say that our um, our missiology is ecclesiocentric. In other words, it's centered right on the church. The church is right at the fat middle of everything we do. In fact, Pat can tell you when we were hammering out as, as the Africa lead team a number of years back, about six years back, we were hammering out our, our mission statement. We wanted to make sure that it reflected um, that ecclesiocentric missiology. So when we wrote it, we tried, we, we tightened it as much as we could. And it basically, we came down to, not basically, we came down to, we are sent to plant, to nurture, and to partner with the national church. So that thing is, that, that, that sentence or that, that, that statement is bathed. It's, it's baptized in, in ecclesiocentric missiology. And it looks two directions. So we're sent by a national church which speaks of an ongoing relationship. And it's critical for us to understand this, 
I am an American Assemblies of God missionary. My district, my, my district, I'm sorry, my general superintendent is Doug Clay. I am from the United States. And so in a sense, it's a little bit like Acts 13. We're sent by that church, but we're still, but to, to plant the other church, but we're still responsible uh, to the one that sent us. Uh, Saul and Barnabas, when Paul and Barnabas came back in Acts 14, and they spent time with that local church, and they reported to that local church because that was their authority, and so they were they were tethered to that, if you would, they were tethered to their to their national church. So when I when I am itinerating or preaching in churches in the states, I want those pastors and people in the congregation to understand we're you, we're you. You don't have to create something else. We're we're doing it because you've already sent us. We want to represent you wherever we go with whatever we do. It's critical to understand who we are because it speaks to our identity, it speaks to our dependence, it speaks to our relationships. It's awesome. Now we're sent by the American Assemblies of God, but the other, but it also tethers us to to the churches that we serve in Africa. Um, I'm sent to plant those churches where they don't exist. I'm sent to serve those churches where they do exist. I'm sent to help to to go with those churches to the nations to plant the church where it is not. So that the church is critical in everything, absolutely everything we we do. I mean, it was Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 16 who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church belongs to Jesus and the church is indestructible. What else in the Bible is said to belong to Jesus? And, And what else in the Bible is said to be indestructible? Everything we do, everything we do in AGW missiology has to do with local and national church. It it has to. It's not sufficient to go into a place and declare the gospel, have people raise hands, sign a card, and then pull out. Jesus didn't say, um, go and have people sign cards or go and take pictures. He said, go and make disciples. So the command is to make disciples. And where's the best place on planet Earth to make disciples? The, the most powerful tool, so see Peter Wagner said, in, I think 79, the most powerful tool in the world for um, evangelism and making disciples is a local church. In fact, I'll, let me, I'll, I'll press it even further. And the most powerful tool in the world for societal transformation is the local church. I mean, imagine your life without your local church. I mean, the church that sent you guys or the church that, that you served at, or I mean, even the churches I've been to. I mean, this past week I was in Pennsylvania and I was at some wonderful churches, the Bridge Church in Hamburg or GT in, in Reading, PA. Those people that, are, that comprise that church, their lives have been changed by Jesus working through that church. And, and if you were to ask some of those people, imagine your life without this church, they, they wouldn't know what to do because they cannot imagine their life without the church. Now imagine every person in Africa having the opportunity within walking distance to have a church like that, which is really our goal. I mean, that's, I mean, even, even as AGWM Africa, that's really our goal, isn't it? Our goal, practically speaking, is a powerful assembly of God church within walking distance of every person on the continent. That's what we're sent to do. That's what we're working towards. So, so local national church, at the heart of everything we do, the heart of everything we do. So what you're saying, this is a little off of, not uh, off script, but so what you're saying is uh, Live Dead, Urban Tribes, and NC Squared all have the same, they all have the same goal when it comes to this. Would that be correct, they all, have the, they, they all have the same goal. They're working on the same team, and they all need each other. Um, and that's critical to understand. Live Dead needs Urban Tribes. Urban Tribe needs NC Squared. NC Squared needs Live Dead. They need to pray for each other and work for it with each other because we're working towards the same thing. Um, 
With Live Dead, we're right at the front part of that. It's the same thing with Urban Tribes, but it's a little different focus, whether you're doing unreached peoples or or culture shapers, but it's still church planting. The NC Squared folks, I mean, they're the they're the ones that come come alongside and do the tabs and the training and everything else that's that's involved in that. And Live Dead teams actually need to be in concert and in close communication with the other teams, with the with the uh, urban tribes and with the NC Square team, so that as what they while they do what they do, they're preparing the ground for the other ones to come behind them. Because that's that's what we do. I mean they should go in with the mindset, I'm gonna I'm gonna win Ahmed to Jesus. I'm gonna win Faduma to Jesus, but but we're gonna build Jesus is gonna build the church here. This church is going to be built and then churches will exist. And then the the church isn't a building. The church is people. And so these, these, these churches will exist and they'll begin working together, which of course is national church. You know, and I think that's one of the, I think one of the challenges we have is, is when, when people hear, especially new missionaries, they hear national church, the first thing they think is buildings and institutions. When you ask me, if you were to ask me, if Aaron, Dr. Aaron Santamire, the awesome, were to ask me, Steve, what do you think of when you think of national church? I think Walde Dignancho. That's the first thing I think of. What do you think of? I think of Philip Kitoto. That's the first thing I think of. Now, without doubt, you have to have facilities. You have to have institutions. I, I get that. But it's comprised of people. And it's comprised of people that desperately love Jesus like you do, that, that have given everything and will give everything to see the church of Jesus Christ planted because they love Jesus and they love the nations. So um, right at the heart of everything we do, right at the heart of everything we do is, is local and national church. Man, Steve, uh, you're on fire here. Uh, it's about, I don't know, maybe we should stop taking an offering or something. Uh, <laughs> I can give you my account number. <laughs> so could you, um, this is great. And, and so could you elaborate a little bit more uh, as we keep talking about the church? Uh, can, can you make the connection then between our missiology uh, and why it is attached to the church? Um, I, I think probably the best example for that, Pat, and this is something I keep, I keep it for myself as a discipline, keep going back to. And even, even when we train at MT and, you know, in MR, we, we read the reports and what people are constantly asking for, and which is critical for us is, is bringing it back to the Bible, bringing it back to the written revelation. Um, it's critical that we're, that we, we have biblical literacy and it's critical that our missiology um, is founded in the scripture. So for me, I, I'm constantly going back and looking again, especially at Ephesians, Ephesians 4, um, Ephesians 4.11. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Now, I, I summarized the text there a little bit. Some people would say that, um, that when Paul wrote that, he was thinking of four, um, four uh, giftings. And by the way, it's giftings, not offices, which is also an issue that we have to grapple with. I personally think it's five. Um, I'm, now, I'm not going to you know, go to the mat on that. However... I do have a cousin who did his PhD in, uh, he did, he did two uh, graduate degrees in biblical languages at Gordon Conwell, then his PhD in New Testament at Aberdeen, which is one of the, you know, like the schools yeah. for New Testament studies. And he told me it's five. So you know what? I'm good with that. <laughs> I'm good with that. I don't have to, he studied it. I'm good. I'll just take it. So if, if I had a whiteboard, cause I love whiteboards, but I, I, I would draw a circle. Okay, and then outside the circle, I would draw the word, I would write the word apostle. In the circle, I would write prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Now, the apostle, the circle represents the local church. 
if you would. The apostle, which means to be sent, apostello, someone who's sent, is someone who is sent by the local church to plant the local church where it is not. So the work of the apostle is to plant the church where it does not exist. Within the circle, then, you have the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Now, if I were to ask you, um, what, what is the role of the prophet? Most people would say, well, it's to beat people up with the Bible and make them feel bad. But that's not, I mean, that may be people's practical experience, but that's not the biblical text. Actually, in the, in the biblical text, we have foretelling, we have foretelling. But in the New Testament, the, the, the priority of prophetic ministry is encouragement. I mean, check it out. It's, it's awesome. They are, they are um, prophetic encouragers. They encourage the body. They help with direction for the body. The evangelist comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means witness. So they are the ones who, who um, witness to people like that church. In other words, cultural nearness. When we talk about missions, we're talking about distance and, and, and filling the gap of that distance. And there's very little distance for an evangelist when it comes to culture. People the same language, the same worldview. They work around that local church in order to bring people to Jesus Christ and to bring them into the church to be a part of it. The pastor... Um, by the way, it's the only time that the word pastor is used in the New Testament, but it, it means the shepherd or the local leader. And then the teacher is the explainer or the, or the, or the, or the trainer. So um, when, when you think of uh, local church in terms of Bible, you have the nature of the church spelled out in Ephesians chapter four, where Paul talks about the apostle, the one who sent um, working from the local church. Now, then what happens is, is the apostle then uh, is sent to plant the church and then the Lord uses that ministry to replicate everything that's happening in the church that sent them in the new location. So that in that new location, then you're going to have apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And and, this, and it just kind of repeats itself. It keeps repeating itself. And and again, that's that's one of the reasons we so love the writings of, of uh, like Anderson and Van and, and, and Luce and Alan is because that that um, connection to the local church, local church passion, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Sure does. I'm glad we got you here to explain it because uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> swimming in the deep end and uh, just breathing just a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think we both know better than that. <laughs>